Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome, everyone, to episode 44 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and I've got another unsolved murder for you guys today. The murder of Abigail Williams in Liberty, German. Now, for the Patreon-exclusive bonus episode, it's still live today, but it's not the story that I am still currently writing. Uh, I've hit a bit of a mental block while writing the story. So, I found some really creepy Japanese urban legends. But I do hope to have the story written by October's bonus episode. The YouTube channel its kind of lost some steam on gaining new subscribers. So, if you haven't yet, please check us out on YouTube and subscribe. But enough about that, let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. February 14, 2017, the bodies of Abigail Williams, born on June 23, 2003, and Liberty German, born on December 27, 2002, were discovered near the Monon High Bridge Trail, which is a part of the Delphi Historic Trails in Delphi, Indiana, after the young girls had disappeared from the same trail the previous day. The murders have received significant media coverage because of a video and audio recording of an individual believed to be the girl's killer were found on German's cell phone. Despite thousands of tips that have been sent to the police and the circulation of the recordings of the suspect, no arrest in the case has been made. At 1.35 p.m. on Monday, February 13, 2017, 13-year-old Abigail and 14-year-old Liberty were dropped off by Abigail's older sister, Kelsey, on County Road 300 northeast of the Hoosier Heartland Highway. The girls were hiking on the Monon High Bridge over Deer Creek among woodland in remote Deer Creek Township. 
At 2.07 p.m., Libby posted a photo of Abby walking on the bridge. After this, they were not heard from again. They were reported missing at 5.30 p.m. after they failed to meet Liberty's father at 3.15. The families initially searched for the girls themselves before calling the police. Authorities, who quickly searched the area, did not initially suspect foul play in the disappearance. However, this changed when the bodies of the girls were found around noon the next day, about a half a mile east of the abandoned Monon High Bridge. The bodies were found on the north bank of Deer Creek. Police have not released details of how the girls were murdered. As early as February 15, 2017, Indiana State Police began circulating a still image of an individual reportedly seen on the Monon High Bridge Trail near where the two friends were, were killed. The grainy photograph appears to capture a Caucasian male with hands in his pockets walking along the rail bridge with his head down. A few days later, the person in the photograph was named the prime suspect in the double homicide. On February 22nd, law enforcement released an audio recording where the voice of the suspect, though in some degree muffled, is heard to say, down the hill. It was at this news conference that officials credited the source of the audio and imagery to German's smartphone and further regarded her as a hero for having had the presence of mind and fortitude to secretly record the exchange. Police indicated that additional evidence from the phone had been secured, but they did not release it so as not to compromise any future trial. By this time, the reward offered in the case was set at $41,000. On July 17th, officers distributed a composite sketch of someone who at the time in the investigation was sought as a person of prime interest in the murders. It apparently been drawn by police from eyewitnesses to a certain hiker of the Delphi Historic Trails on the day that the girls vanished. On April 19, 2019, Indiana State Police announced a new direction in the case. On behalf of State Police and the Multi-Agency Task Force, Superintendent Doug Carter released more materials a few days later in a press conference held on April 22nd. The new materials included a short video recording in which the blue-jeaned and jacketed suspect is seen walking along the bridge for a little over a second. Superintendent Carter states that because of the deteriorated, deteriorated condition of the bridge, the suspect is not walking naturally due to the spacing between the ties. An updated sketch of the subject was also unveiled, as well as an extended version of the audio recording, in which a slight rise in the suspect's voice can be detected as he utters the word, Guys, before the phrase, Down the Hill. It was further explained that the previously released sketch, showing an older man with, with a goatee and a, and a hat, is now considered secondary. By contrast, the clean-shaven individual of the newly revised composite is the primary sketch of the prime suspect. 
police say that this person may rage from age 18 to 40, but they caution that his youthful appearance could make him look younger than his true age. Investigators revealed that they have reason to believe that the suspect might well be hiding in plain sight, and that the person is almost certainly familiar with the area of Delphi, whether it be from living or working there, or for another reason. An additional plea was made for help in identifying the driver of a vehicle left abandoned off the Hoosier Heartland Highway in Delphi at the former Child Services Office between noon and 5 p.m. on the day of the murders. On July 23, 2019, Paul Etter was wanted for the kidnapping and rape of a 26-year-old woman on June 22 in Tippecanoe County. Etter was one of multiple suspects being investigated for the Williams and German murders, according to Carroll County Sheriff Toby Liensby. Five days later, on July 28, 2019, Etter was surrounded by police, and after a five-hour standoff, he died by suicide. Investigators received a tip about Etter and the Delphi murders, but it's unclear if or when authorities would be able to determine if he is the killer. Daniel Nations, a registered sex offender from Indiana, was arrested in Woodland Park, Colorado in September 2017 and charged with threatening strangers on a monument trail with a hatchet. The expired Indiana plates on the car Nations was driving was noticed by police, who subsequently discovered an outstanding warrant under his name. Feigning public speculation still further, it was reported that a bicyclist had been fatally shot on the same trail at around the time that Nations was purportedly terrifying passerbys. An El Paso County Sheriff's spokesman told reporters that however many similarities there were between the cases, he was not at liberty to disclose them since Indiana investigators did not want any information released. On January 5, 2018, Nations was sentenced to three years of probation for threatening members of the public in Colorado. However, he was not released since he had an active warrant out on him back in Indiana. And then on January 24th, he was transferred to Indiana's official, official's custody on an unrelated charge, failure to register as a sex offender. In early February of 2018, authorities said that the Nations was no longer considered an active person of interest in the Delphi murders. Thomas Bruce, who formerly worked as a pastor, is charged with fatally shooting one woman and sexually assaulting two others after having ordered them at gunpoint into the back room of a suburban St. Louis shop for religious supplies. While committed in broad daylight on November 19, 2018, these crimes put Bruce in the spotlight of the press. Some noted his being of similar stature to the then-current suspect description in the Delphi Slains. Also, his wearing a flat cap and navy blue jacket during this attack, not unlike the suspect in the Delphi case. Indiana State Police did look into his possible connection in November. On December 4th, 
Bruce was charged with no fewer than 17 felony counts related to the St. Louis case. He was sentenced to life without parole. Charles Eldridge was arrested on January 8th of 2019 in Union City, Indiana on charges of child molestation and child solicitation. Police in Randolph County alerted the FBI to a potential link between Eldridge and the Delphi murders on account of his strong resemblance to the suspect sketch. This was, however, before the updated composite had been released. On April 27, 2021, Indiana State Police detectives named James Brian Chadwell as a new person of interest in the Delphi murders. On December 6, 2021, at approximately 9.50 p.m., Sergeant Jeremy Pierce, public information officer with Indiana State Police, announced the discovery of a fictitious online persona, Anthony Schatz. Sergeant Pierce said this profile had been uncovered during the course of the investigation into the murders. It was believed to have been used in 2016 and 17. The press release said that they were asking for anyone who had social media contact with a user by that name between 2016 and 17 to come forward. They asked anyone coming forward to utilize the Abby and Libby tip line. A day or two later, internet search providers released an additional statement related to his profile and confirmed that the account is alleged to have belonged to a 27-year-old man named Keegan Anthony Klein of Peru, Indiana. At the time of the press release, Klein was being held in the Miami County Jail for 30 alleged crimes including child exploitation, possession of child pornography, child solicitation for sexual intercourse and obstruction of justice. Klein set up the fake social media accounts in which he used photos of an unknown male model to catfish potential underage victims. Kelsey German, Libby's sister, said of Klein being a potential suspect, I think in the past when there were names put out in the media that was more the media putting them out there. But I think this is the first time we've ever seen police put out any sort of name about a potential suspect. German also said that she long believed that social media did not have anything to do with this case, but said that she has now reconsidered things, saying, Libby never told me anything about anybody contacting her online. But since the latest release happened, it just made me think, that even if she had told us, or if we would have said something, then she'd have likely kept messaging anyway, because teenagers like to hide things, unfortunately. In response to a request from German's mother, homeowners across central Indiana have had orange lights installed on their front porches, both to commemorate the girls, as well as to indicate that the murderer still remains at large. You would think that after all the episodes that I've done and all of the other podcasts and TV shows that I've seen, 
that I wouldn't be surprised by anything that I read. But whoever did this to those poor girls is nothing more than just plain scum. I'll never understand how someone can do this to another person and completely destroy their family and friends' lives. It's just more proof that monsters are real. Now our next story comes from YourGhostStories.com and it's about a small mansion built in the 1600s. It all started when we moved into our new house. It was left for my dad when my grandma passed away. The house was a small mansion built by my ancestors and it has been in our family ever since the 1600s. It's a three-story house with a balcony on the second and third floor and a fountain in the middle of the front yard that doesn't run. The history of the house was very graphic. The house has been passed down through the generations. The ghosts that haunt the house and my family were the very first ones to live in the mansion. The ghosts, Henry the father, Samantha the mother, and their children, David, Abigail, William, Elizabeth, Harold, and Marie. According to the history, Henry became very sick and ended up being demon-possessed. As the family tried hopelessly to save him, he told David and Abigail that their deaths would be the most brutal. Then one night, as the children were sitting in the parlor, a gunshot was fired. Indeed, it was Henry. He had shot and killed Samantha. As the children tried to escape, he killed them off one by one. I'm not going to give the details just of how graphic it was. After Henry had killed everyone in his family, he went in the backyard and he killed himself. Now back to this time period. A short time after moving in, my parents and I were sitting in the dining room eating dinner when all of a sudden the table started to shake violently. After it stopped, I looked up and I saw something run past the archway. I got up and I dashed over to see where it was, but it was gone. I am an only child, and the only pet that we have is a cat. The size of what I saw was at least four feet tall, so I couldn't imagine that that was it. The next night, I was in my room alone. I was getting ready for bed, and I accidentally knocked something off of my dresser. I bent down to pick it up, and it suddenly became cold. I stood up, and in the mirror in front of me, I saw what was actually David standing behind me. I didn't know at the time that this was David. I had no idea who this person was. Scared out of my mind, I turned around and he was gone. I rushed down the hall to my parents' room, but they were already fast asleep. The next day, around lunch, I heard heavy footsteps going up the stairs. I looked around the corner and there was no one there, so I just went back to what I was doing. About two minutes later, I heard it again upstairs right above my head, as if someone were walking around. My parents had already gone to work, so I thought someone had broken in. I crept upstairs with a stainless steel candle holder in my hand. I walked up to the door and I busted in all the noise instantly stopped. I started to wonder if maybe the house was haunted. 
That night after dinner, my dad walked into the kitchen to get something to drink. My mom and I were still seated at the dinner table when we heard something break against the floor. We went in the kitchen to see what had happened. My dad was standing there with the broken glass on the floor next to him. My mom asked what, it, what was wrong, and he said that he saw a little girl sitting in a puddle of blood. He said that she had bloody cuts all over her and her eyes were completely white. We all had trouble sleeping that night. At 12.09 a.m., I was lying in bed staring at the ceiling when out of nowhere I heard a little boy laughing. I sat up and it stopped. I lied back down and I rolled over to face the wall. After lying there for a few minutes, I heard my door creak open and footsteps coming up behind me. I rolled over and it was David. He was standing over me trying to tell me something. He had short, black hair, old-fashioned clothes, bloody and ripped to shreds. His skin was gray, and he had bloody cuts on his arms and one on his forehead above his right eyebrow. His words started to make a little sense now. Help us. He's, he's coming. He'll, he'll kill. And just like that, he vanished. I was so scared that I grabbed my baseball bat, just in case something tried to kill me. I ran down the hall and I burst into my parents' room. They weren't asleep yet, and they asked me what was wrong. I asked them if they had seen or heard anything strange, but they both replied no. That's when I decided to research the history of my house on the computer. After I learned everything, I realized why their ghosts would still be in our house. They were tortured and killed, completely innocent, murdered. We're used to it now. I must say that I've had a lot of different ghost experiences, but those I could tell later. Still, to this day, our house is haunted. Like my mom seeing a dead boy in the bathtub, and my cousin hearing a young girl crying inside of my closet. I've got one more story for you guys today, and it's about a creepy knock at the door in the middle of the night. I grew up in a small town west of Phoenix. It was a farming community with no more than 1,500 people in total. My father volunteered as an officer with the local police force. He would go out on patrol once or twice a week. Often my mother would take me and spend the night at my grandmother's house so she would not be alone. My grandmother's house was very small, perhaps only 600 square feet with a large yard. The yard was completely fenced off from the street by a waist-high picket fence. To reach the front door, you entered the gate next to the driveway and walked up a few steps to the porch. This walkway was in plain view of the front door. One night, my father was out on patrol. My mother and I were staying at my grandparents' house, sleeping in the front room. Around 2 or 3 a.m., there was a knock at the front door. My 
grandmother had been up with me and my mother was asleep on the couch. The knock woke up my mother. Both my grandmother and my mom thought the person knocking was my father, even though it would be a few hours earlier than he was expected to arrive. Please understand, this was a small town. Crime was not really an issue. So when they heard the knock, my grandmother went straight to the door and my mother went to gather me and our things to head home. However, when my grandmother opened the door, it was not my father. Rather, it was a woman with light hair, green eyes, and a fur coat the same color as the woman's hair. My mother, standing behind my grandma in the small room, saw all of this and confirmed the details. My grandmother asked, can I help you? The woman said, can I come sit by your fire? Something in her demeanor spooked my grandmother, who was never much scared of anything, and she said, hell no, slamming the door in the woman's face. My grandmother said that she never understood why she reacted like that. She immediately opened the door to apologize, and my mother rushed to the window next to the door to get another look. But the woman was gone. It couldn't have been more than a second or two from the door slamming to my grandmother opening it and my mother going to the window. Yet she was nowhere. They went out into the yard, and they looked up and down the street. The lady was not there. They stayed awake the next couple of hours, waiting for my father to arrive. They had no explanation. The next day, they asked neighbors on both sides if anyone had knocks on their door. They hadn't. Another thing, my grandmother lived in a quiet neighborhood off of the main road in town. She had lived in the neighborhood for 30 years and she knew everyone on the street plus their extended families, and she knew nearly everyone in town. She did not know this lady, and neither did my mother. The highway was a bit over a mile to the south of my grandmother's house, and there were several neighborhoods, gas stations, and the like between her house and the highway. If this woman had simply been a lost traveler, it's unlikely how she would have happened upon my grandmother's house. Plus, how would she get out of, out of the yard, pass a gate, and off the street so quickly? I don't know who or what she was. I don't know what she wanted. Past sitting by a non-existent fire, my grandmother did not have a fireplace. But I know that this actually happened. I don't know about you guys, but answering the door in the middle of the night when you're not expecting anyone just seems like a bad idea. Unless you have a security camera, you never know who's on the other side of the door and what they want. Well, that is going to do it for today. I hope that you guys enjoyed the stories. If you did, please make sure to rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others find this podcast. It's something in the algorithm that the five stars just makes it appear for more people to find. Make sure that you join us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Also, 
don't forget to, to subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider joining the Patreon to help support the show and get access to bonus episodes starting at the $5 tier. Once again, thank you everyone for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.